but I'm hoping like the GameStop thing and like it will progress to a point where you're talking to an average person. They're like, oh, can you explain Bitcoin to me? You'll be like, it's real money that is yours. And they're like, whoa, money that's actually mine? Cool, help me. Like that's the mental leap people need to make. They need, the norm should be, my money can be taken from me at any time. She is 100% right. Your money is not yours if it's in a bank account or on a brokerage account. They can restrict whatever they want. That being said, hello and welcome to the Tucson Bitcoin Podcast. Today I have on Julia Tarinsky from Brave the World, and she is also one of the co-authors of Thank God for Bitcoin. And yeah, I mean, in this conversation, we just dove into what Bitcoin is, Austrian economics, and uh, self-sovereignty and like how Bitcoin helps you to be a self-sovereign person. And we had a lot of critique of the state. You know, I think it's pretty fair right now to be uh, a little bit uneasy with all the things that they're doing. And uh, and I think it's fair to always be uneasy with what things are doing because uh, when there is a strong entity that just has all power and eliminates any ability to push back, you know, that is the grounds for tyranny and this is something that people really need to understand you know is that their best interest is not being represented and that they need to be the ones that represent their own best interest by doing things like owning bitcoin so that they can be secure and have their wealth preserved and it's so much more than inflation you know we talk a lot about inflation on the podcast but you know at this point it's about preventing your money from being seized and stolen. Well, anyways, hope you enjoy this conversation. And we're recording. Good to have you on, Julia. Hello. So, been doing some research on you. It sounds like you have a pretty compelling story. Uh, what, what got you into Bitcoin starting out? Oh, um... Yeah, so I was involved in Austrian economics uh, in my in the city nearby where I lived. Uh, we'd have meetups, and um, I just was into that scene. And when Bitcoin came along, I kind of already knew about it, but I didn't quite get it yet. And then once I started getting into Austrian economics, I was like, oh, wow, this is why it's um, beneficial and valuable. And then after that, um, I met some people that were more politically involved in Bitcoin uh, as well as technically. So those kind of worlds created um, a cohesive picture of why Bitcoin is exactly what we need. Uh, and yeah, that was a while ago now. Awesome. How did, what led you to Austrian economics? It's, it's kind of a niche uh, um community for sure um well i had a friend I, I was kind of like a libertarian in high school and i had a buddy that knew my political leanings he's like oh i should bring you to this Mises meetup you'd like that so that kind of opened the more um of the economical side of like libertarian thinking uh so yeah that's kind of how i got involved um, and i think it just attracted me to it maybe because of my history like coming from a horrendous soviet state um where <laughs> the opposite way of doing economics obviously didn't work out 
So that probably has to do like with some of my conditioning and like propensity towards um, the attraction. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I've had both uh, Jan Pritzker and uh, Katie the Russian on the podcast, and they both described uh, uh, very similar experiences with like seeing the contrast of, uh, um, you know, central, like extreme central planning and uh, capitalism. Like Jan described uh, coming to the US and seeing food and grocery stores and just being amazed. <laughs> Um, my dad, my dad says the same thing. Like the first time he went grocery shopping in Canada, he just stood in front of the yogurt aisle and he was like, why is there so many different types of yogurt? And he was just like, you know, what's the, what's the term when you go to a museum and you're so overwhelmed by the art? It's like a German term. Uh, you're like in a state of shock and uh, whelm. Yeah, my, my mom described it as a culture shock. And it's definitely like something people experience uh, going back and forth between different countries. It's, it, it's pretty wild how, how that plays out. Like I, you know, my brother, um, he had spent like six months in Bolivia and had to evacuate because of all the almost civil war stuff that almost happened down there. And he came back to the US and was so overwhelmed and, you know, had lot of anxiety it's it's pretty interesting to to see that for sure um so yeah um so if if you're going to sum up austrian economics how would you describe it well i think the the main thing um they frame they frame um, money and like the exchange of money as human behavior so they acknowledge that it's uh, a bit of the day human behavior and they kind of reject um, like any kind of stimulation of economy or central centralization of economy or planning of it. Um, and I, I guess like some of the more controversial stances they would take is when there is a recession, like you do nothing instead of trying to stimulate and reboot the economy um and they you know they point out to some sometimes in history that aren't really notable because that's exactly what happened like no one did anything so it just self-corrected um so yeah those are kind of like the big things um basically you can look at like uh keynesian economics and anything you read about that it would be like the inverse (laughs) yeah my first introduction to Austrian economics was reading Seyfedin's book, uh, The Bitcoin Standard. And it kind of blew me away because it, it, it's literally the exact opposite. Oh, yeah. And like of they're it. anti-fiat money, of course. So yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. like so normal to me. I don't even, I forgot to mention the main thing because it's just the way I think. <laughs> it, it, but to most people that's like, what's fiat money? Um, so yeah. So yeah. It, with no right standard. To that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Austrian economics is, it, it's really fascinating because most people don't even know that it's a thing. Like, you know, people will um, hear about like watered down versions of Friedrich Hayek and Ludwig von Mises and, um, you know, other, you know, famous Austrian economic or economists in uh, school. But, you know, it's it's kind of framed in the sense of like, you know, central planning is still like, uh extremely important in economies and so you know when people are presented with an Austrian idea it's it's um 
it, it's pretty foreign is, is what I found. Um, the idea of like, so like the idea of like doing nothing in a, um, uh, a recession, you know, in the frame, you know, people are looking at like 2008 as kind of the major reference point or like what happened in the great depression. And, you know, they, they think that, um, had the government not done anything, it would have just been a complete disaster. Um, so. Yeah, uh, if people want to look it up, there's like many articles written on the depression or like the recession that never happened, the depression that never happened. And it was, they contrasted to the Great Depression and why this one didn't occur. And I mean, to some degree, it's really difficult to like retroactively prove things, but they do take like, specific things that were similar and that should have led to a, a, a like the depression style um, economic downturn. And it just like didn't to that extent because they didn't, you know, they didn't intervene as much as they usually do. So, and I mean, that's kind of a freedom loving libertarian mindset anyways, like whether it's the economy or like a virus, um, most of those people would generally tend to leave things alone instead of rushing to the government to make policies to help. Yeah, it, it's really, uh, I think, important for people to break down what they believe uh, kind of philosophically about the world you know, to understand um, their political leanings. And, and I think the average person doesn't really take the time to go and uh, look at first principles of like, why do I believe what I believe? And, and what is this assumption built off of? Um, and so it's really interesting to have conversations with people about Bitcoin in particular, because it's the complete opposite of, of just about everything in our society. Um, yeah, super interesting. Um, so yeah, uh, you're one of the authors of Thank God for Bitcoin. How, how did you get involved with uh, writing that book? Basically, I met Jimmy at a conference and we, talk, we ended up talking about God and we were both Christians and we kept in touch after that and uh, he was he lives in my the same city as me so we he hosts like meetups and stuff so we like built up a rapport and then he was doing a uh bible bitcoin book club during covid and invited me i'm like oh that sounds fun so i joined that up and we write a couple uh um kind of austrian economics leaning uh books and a lot of them were older and kind of ended up um, talking about gold again and um, how we need to reform the government, blah, 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 and just solutions that just haven't historically worked very well. And that was kind of frustrating and like deflating. So then I get this email and it's like, oh, we decided to write a book to like correct this uh this um gap in thinking and i'm like oh, okay go ahead go and write it i didn't even respond to the email uh because like i didn't think i'd have time uh but they you know they emailed me again they're like no no you should like really be part of this this, this is going to be great I'm like all right well all right let's do it and i happen to have been going to my parents house for the summer so that allowed me to have more time than i could have you know could have um 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I would not have been able to contribute to the book if I didn't have my parents babysitting my kids some of those days. So that helped a lot. So we wrote a lot of it during the summer. And then actually the edit, the editing process was even, was actually longer um, or equal to, because writing the book was really easy. Like we all are pretty cohesive in what we were trying to deliver in the product. And I feel like it just spilled out of us, but then editing, editing it and having like finding that one voice and then um, kind of conforming on the details was the more difficult and the more um, kind of time, time strenuous uh, <laughs> endeavor. So yeah, thanks to my husband, because at that, like at that point I wasn't with my parents anymore. So he had mm -hmm. to babysit a lot. Yeah. So that's it. That's what we did. Yeah. It's, I, so for anybody listening that doesn't know, there's eight authors in the book. And so it's a lot of coordinating and different ideas. And, and from what I understand, uh, you kind of passed around, uh, each chapter to each person to, to look it over. And it just, it sounds like quite a process. Yeah. So we each wrote a chapter roughly like some people, yeah, it was really interesting. Some people like kept it really concise. Some people like wrote 10 pages and like, you know, we had to either cut, we actually had to cut so much and cutting is hard because someone put the effort into it. And then the adding to it, you know, some parts was difficult too, because you have to do the research and that's time consuming. Um, but it ended up being that like, you read the book and like you see like little bits of you and then it's completed by little bits of like Gabe or like Jimmy or whoever. And like, you, it's, it was really fun because it really did blend together well. Um, and I actually really enjoy like, like going to a page and going like, okay, I think, I think this was introduced by this person, but then like, we had to make it a little less aggressive. And then I hear was a little too soft. And then we had to bring it back up to being a little more ed edgy. So I loved the process. I thought it was really cool, but you do have to have, you have to have a group of people that are very reasonable and have a vision that's overall united or else you're just gonna argue the whole time and like we somehow pulled it off we were like all very reasonable yeah yeah I, I, one of the things that i found striking as i was reading the book was i couldn't uh uh really figure out who wrote what it, it read pretty uh um smoothly and yeah. <laughs> i thought i would be like okay this is breathe love this is a jimmy song this is you know whoever i did, I did sneak like some goose stuff so my friend like he screenshot he's like okay this is the first like this is totally proof that you contributed to the book because i put like something in about geese <laughs> yeah. but other than that it's like pretty it's hard to pinpoint who did what um yeah and you know it, it was really fun i loved it um i really enjoyed like like a lot of the work also was someone would put a lot of information out and then it's like, you have to make it more readable and like structure it. That's actually one of my biggest strengths. Uh, so that was a really fun point um, of the process for me. It was like taking someone's awesome information and putting it in a way that's a lot more um, readable. 
so yeah, I don't know. I have, I just have really positive things to say about the process. Uh, this is Jimmy's second time doing it. He's going to do another book. Uh, books. It's, the, it's called a book sprint when you write a book really fast altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, maybe my husband might be involved on that project. So that would be cool for him. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The other book I know he did like that was the little Bitcoin book. And uh, mm-hmm. I have yet yeah, to read Yeah. And they that were like one. actually locked in the room together. So that would have been more <laughs> fun. But I yeah. wouldn't be able to do actually like that was the one positive thing about COVID. Like we had to do it online. And that's the only way I could have done it because I can't like abandon my baby for a week to write a book. Yeah, I mean, that's something that's so impressive and, and would have been unthinkable, you know, a couple decades ago is for a bunch of people to collaborate like that all over the country and, and world. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a really, really cool aspect of that. Um, so I, I was listening to uh, Swan Signal the other day with and, uh, Brecky, American Hoddle, um, Gigi, a few people are, were on there talking about how uh, Bitcoin to some people fills a God-sized hole in their lives and kind of brings a sense of purpose and meaning to their life. Um, and it got, it just got me thinking about like, you know, some of the, the parallels, you know, with this book to some of the parallels um, between uh, religion and uh, Bitcoin. Um, ha- have you seen that? And, and what do you think about that? Well, there's a danger to that. I understand where that comes from because like Bitcoin fits into a moral framework that we inherit from Christianity. And a lot of people who are not Christian don't get that they're still kind of Christian, even, even if they say they're not if you if you if you think okay if you think like you're not touched by christian ethics having been grown up in the west like you're just wrong so and usually people who like bitcoin like with uh, capital b they like the system of it they like the sovereignty and keeping your money all that stuff um, it's not violent blah, 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 the appropriated terms by the ANCAPs and the libertarians for like what is actually Christian ethics, all that, all that. It, it's just, yes, there's a whole and you're gonna, you're gonna choose things that fit your worldview. Um, and it, it's just not quite far enough. Like I wish people would admit that they need, um, they need to like, just like admit that they fit into a moral framework that they're not making up or like taking from people like this is a Christian moral framework. So yeah, and the problem with like, there, there's a lot of people who criticize Bitcoin for like being a cult or a religion. And it's very hyperbolic and extreme and like silly, like I really don't like those articles. But like, I also know people in the community that kind of act that way. And you can do that with anything, not just Bitcoin. Bitcoin is probably the, the uh, lesser evil if, uh, to do that with. But I think people who are drawn to Bitcoin are moral people with dignity who want the best for everyone, who also don't want to be uh, acted upon violently, who don't want to see other people acted upon violently, and who want to be sovereign. And they just don't really understand where those uh, feels come from. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that's great. And I, 
Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I, I think like one of the things that's powerful about Bitcoin and, and where we're at right now is it is a very new emerging technology that has the power to change people's lives. Um, and so people can find and derive a sense of meaning and purpose from that. Um, and I think that's kind of what they were talking about in the interview. So hopefully I didn't misrepresent what they were saying. Oh, but yeah, yeah. no, I, yeah. I've talked to um, I've talked to American Hodel about this a little bit. And I know what he means by that. And uh, I think he has a very well-rounded opinion about it. And I think like the danger I want to kind of point out with people making Bitcoin like the center of their existence or one of the only things that they find purpose in is there, there have been characters in our space who were like really revered and like that made Bitcoin their you know, crusade. And then when they weren't on their pedestal anymore, when like there was a big turnover in like 2018, 2019, yeah, 2018 of where like the core devs became uh, the emphasis of the community. And a lot of like the evangelizing characters of Bitcoin like couldn't take the hit. Like they re their ego was really tied to being like the, the people pushing Bitcoin and it resulted in altchains and like altcoins and splits and all that stuff. So um, that's just one example. Like you can't, Bitcoin is amazing, but it should buttress your existing life and purpose and worldview. It should not like be that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if like somebody's new and listening to this conversation, they'll probably think like it's wild that we that you're even having to say that <laughs> um, just because of how enthusiastic people get about it, for sure. Um, yeah. But, yeah. And, and they should be. It's, it's great to have a passion and to believe in something, but it can't be the, the thing that you believe in. Yeah. This, this is not going to end well because <laughs> it's a human thing at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you said that like Bitcoin appeals to people with a moral uh, framework and, and foundation. Um, generally, I would mm -hmm. say generally, yeah. So, so what what would you say is the problem with fiat, and why why do people uh, jump to Bitcoin and see that as more of a more moral money? Uh, okay. Well, like uh, fundamentally, fiat is a money that. Um, is backed by government. So uh, generally it's like purely backed by the belief that the government will keep the money valuable or the Fed or it's all to me, like these terms are very interconnected, right? Like, like what is the Fed without the government and vice versa? So it's money that doesn't have uh, value. Like does it's, you can't, it's not attached to anything. So when we had the gold standard, fiat, you know, wasn't fiat because it had something backing it. Uh, right now we don't even have that. The difference is, uh, the biggest difference between Bitcoin and fiat money, which is like in every country, is uh, Bitcoin is deflationary. Fiat money by nature like cannot be deflationary. It's always inflationary because it's always printed, which dilutes the supply. So it inflates it. Um, but when you have like a like an asset that is mo also money and it's scarce, like Bitcoin, 
it's going to be deflationary. Uh, and I mean, the typical ones are silver and gold, but you can argue that those can be inflated now, et cetera. So yeah, those are the biggest differences. And in, in terms of morality, like inflation is theft, inflation is immoral, you're, you're under the thumb of an entity, they can just inflate your money at, at a whim. So, and whenever I meet boomers now, I talk to boomers, I'm talking to my neighbor, like, do you have savings in USD? Well, yes, all my savings are in USD, I have 200K. I'm like, please, please don't keep those savings in fiat money because they will get devalued. And they're not, they're like, they're, nor, they're like normies by most standard. And they agree with me, they know this, but like, well, I don't know what to get. I'm like, at least get gold, like at least, like that's still better, still will be better. Like bury it in your backyard, like at least to, like do something uh, or so, or good luck buying it though right now. Like it's really hard to purchase those uh, assets right now. But I'm just telling everyone like, please do not hold this valueless money. They just, especially Canadians, they printed, the most money out of any Western country for COVID. Like the Canadian economy is gonna tank. It's gonna be the first one to tank. And what are you gonna have? You work your whole life, like all these boomers, this is my like, th this is my prediction. Okay, I'm gonna veer off here. All these Canadian boomers who like are wearing their masks and staying inside and are like, thank you for saving us. In 10 years when they're like 70 and too old to riot, <laughs> All of their savings will be will be halved or go to zero. Not even 10 years. 10 years is like, I'm being very humble here. I'm thinking in two years, their savings are gonna be literally just taken from them via inflation or be like, we're gonna take this because we have no money now. Thank you, Boomer. Um, they're not gonna, their kids aren't gonna inherit anything and they're gonna be really mad and they're gonna be like, what happened? It's like, remember COVID and like all that money that was printed? so that your lazy son and daughter like won't riot so they can get their $2,000 every month to not go to work at their bar. That's what happened. <laughs> like, bye. Um, so this is very bad. And I, 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 I like boomers. I think they worked really hard. They had better circumstances, but they still gave their like time and sweat for this money that they saved up that they won't get now. It will be gone. Yeah, that's a that's a I, I think a pretty fair assessment. If we continue on at the rate that we're going, which we almost definitely will, but but Julia, that's where the government comes in. They're going to give everybody a UBI check, and then you won't need to worry about retirement anymore. They will. So their kids will live on two thousand dollars a month for the rest of their life, while their boomer parents have to like sell their nice second home and then first home or whatever. Depend depends how much money they had saved and how many assets they had. So they'll probably just be left with their assets and they won't be able to pay property tax on it or anything. <laughs> like, it'll be a mess. It'll be really bad. Um, but yeah, what, what's the, what's the uh, world, new world forum like slogan or whatever? Like you will own nothing and you will love it. <laughs> you will rent everything. <laughs> you will yeah, rent your wife. And, and again, that, that comes down to philosophy. So I had Alex Gladstein on the podcast and we talked a lot about, you know, what, what are civil liberties um, really broke it down. And, you know, one of the things that he explained, which was interesting is these, these concepts like um, 
medi or well, I mean, universal health care um, and job guarantees and et cetera. They they came from the Soviet Union in um, the creation of the United Nations. So that you know, the United States is going and talking about like freedom of the press, freedom of expression, you know, stuff like that. And, um, you know, the Soviet Union with their, with the gulags and, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff and, and no freedom of expression or press or, you know, really ability to own anything, you know, we're, we're talking about these concepts and that's how they kind of entered into the conversation on, on a world global scale. Um, well, you know, it's funny too, like, you know, like how people survived in the Soviet Union, like everyone worked, there was a slogan, you pay, you pretend to pay us and we pretend to work. So that's part of the reason everything collapsed and people would just steal. Like it was normal behavior for literally everybody to just steal. Funny because like you would be ratted, ratted out a lot of the time in the Soviet Union for uh, minute things, but kind of close closer to the end, like, you work in an office, everyone just steals shit constantly, all the time. And it was such normal behavior, like that stuff wasn't really, you weren't being really ratted out about that. But like if you, uh, at the start, if you like took a, you know, an extra bag of rice or like didn't didn't declare it like your family, gulag time. But by but the end of it, because you couldn't survive on what you were being paid, like it was just normal, like everybody stole. And the people who worked, like the closer you worked to the, you know, big man, to like, to like big brother, the closer you got up the pyramid to big brother, the more you stole, <laughs> like obviously. It's still like that, it's just under a different system. But so, and it's funny, cause you look at America and look at some of the major cities where like, like petty crime is being decriminalized and like, like stealing is just like normal now except like the proletariat are allowed to like steal from like the, the bad people which is like small businesses right and that's what they did in the soviet union they took they took farmers who worked the land and fed people and they killed them and took their land <laughs> because stealing is okay um so yeah, but it's gonna, but it's like this, it's gonna lead to like, it's the same progression. It's gonna lead to first that like stealing is okay in this circumstance where then everyone is kind of equally poor and everyone just steals from, you know, from, from the government all the time. It, that's where it's gonna end up. Like everything is gonna just get shittier and shittier. Like, and I mean, it's gonna, it's really sad because America is a very, people have like amazing work ethic like people really look down on theft like people there's a lot of very moral people in the general population and that's going to change like you're going to get a country uh, walk through san francisco like this really opened my eyes to the human condition and like what entitlement does to you and what um allow like the if you allow criminality to just fester like i used to think you know, oh yes, um, most people who are down and under, like homeless people, etc. They're, you know, they're just in a bad place, blah blah blah. And then when you like actually talk to them or like live really close to them and like walk by them every day, you realize like this is uh, no, like this is like their game, like this is what they do, this is their life, and whatever brought them to this stage, they are fully consciously doing the thing that they need to do. I would walk through San Francisco, New York, through these areas, eight months pregnant, visibly pregnant, and like 
no difference of body language or or tone or anything panhandling me ask me for money like it doesn't matter if you and then i when i had kids when i didn't have kids it's all the same they treat you're just you're just an opportunity to extract resources and i've had moments where i've talked to uh people that are like dependent or like homeless etc and you try to like hear their life story or like you know treat them like a human being just like talk to them and it always always hey can you spare like it's always immediately about money and it's it's like this it's the sick conditioning because no one maybe no one in their life like they probably came from a bad place and then society has told them that all that matters is how much money you can extract from other people so you can you know buy your weed and buy your subway they have no purpose no one is rehabilitating them to give them purpose in their life to not treat human beings as resources um and the government treats them as resources because giving people welfare is buying votes basically it's this the whole system is rotten i went off on a crazy tangent i don't even know what i was talking about but the whole it's so rotten and it's rotting way faster and no one is trying to reform anything in a in a way that works like giving people purpose and dignity um so yeah prepare for the worst everybody because this is like not you cannot change this in one generation now yeah yeah, absolutely. It's um I think it's really unfortunate how how large of a role politics plays in our society and I I think it's victimizing everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, what I see is a lot of people are feeling demoralized and powerless, you know, due to like generations of theft, you know, through inflation and bad uh government policy and and you know, so they, it, they abdicate their power and influence over to these politicians who are supposed to, you know, fix the situation from them, which is kind of like a failing, um, it, it, it's a system that's set up to fail, you know, and I think like a lot of these issues that we see today, you know, really can be solved um, or at least addressed, maybe not solved because that, that, that's too much of a you know, there's never going to be a perfect society or utopia, um, but, you know, they can be addressed more uh, efficiently and effectively by by us, you know, if we take ownership for our community, um, you know, and really fix these issues. And, and, and that's one of the things that I find pretty incredible about Bitcoin is like, you know, when, it, when you look at the stark contrast, you know, a lot of people will hear, um, you know, may hear our, our uh, comparisons to the Soviet Union and, and, and think that, you know, they're kind of hyperbolic and, and maybe not extreme and, and may not fit. But what it comes down to is like, if you don't have property and you don't have wealth, then you don't have a voice, you know, and you don't have, um, you know, really a bi- any ability to represent yourself in society. And, and that's what I see as the danger here is um, it, we're being like without, you know, Bitcoin and without like, you know, financial literacy, which like nobody has, you know, to protect yourself um, from the system, like you're just operating at a, at a loss constantly. And you're. Yeah. Well, we're not, we're not at the stage yet where they're coming for like your land or, or your bank account, like directly. So 
and we have so many resources and pe like people in the Soviet Union didn't have a fucking option. Okay, they just took the, like you could run away, I guess, like some people kind of felt felt the mood and left ahead of time. That's awesome. Good for them. Everyone else was just killed or like sent away like you didn't have the option here. It's still America. There's still states that are functioning. There's still cities that are functioning like things aren't like like you're not a victim until you choose to be that's still that's still true right now. And if for years and years and years and years, recession after recession after liberal liberal um, policy, more liberal policy, more liberal po liberal policy, and like well, you know, one day, well, one day, like you're forced, your business has to do one thing, and the next day, your kid has to learn this thing at school, and the next day, like, oh well, your safety deposit box wasn't open in five years, so we took what was in it. Like all of these flags, like okay, it, it's shitty stuff, but you know, they're not holding a gun to your head. And taking your farmland yet but like what's gonna happen is with the the economy will take a downturn like really bad that's just numbers it's just numbers and if you can't if you can't foresee that right now like you're just dumb and okay, some people are dumb and those people generally don't have anything anyways. But if you're like a well-to-do intelligent person and you're like, nah, government great. My money's safe. I don't feel sorry for you because that's your own fault, okay? You're gonna be broke and it's gonna be like, you're gonna be sad. Like I can't believe I voted for this guy and I have no money now, like that's gonna be on you. So, but what bothers me is people that were like people that like now are lower middle class kind of like you know pay, paycheck to paycheck like on the poverty line even all those people uh in between they <laughs> in the city at least like you don't have upward mobility at all you don't you just don't because everything goes to the to the renters like people that's just how our economy in cities works right now and you the only thing for those people to do is to move somewhere cheaper and try to get a job and try to save and buy land or buy bitcoin or buy or buy something real so that when the economy takes a horrible downturn like you're at least not totally bankrupt but yeah you can't like not everyone's gonna be saved and i i do feel bad for those people that it's it's really hard to do that. But at the same time, like my family was not rich or even middle-class for like 10 years in Canada. And we worked our butts off and we prepared and we're getting hit hard right now with the COVID stuff, but we're still holding on. And that's not because of like handouts or like preferential treatment or anything. It's because we come from a country where stuff happened and we remember what happened and we're always like ready. Like my parent, my parents can pick up and leave everything that they've built and move forward. Most people like don't understand what that is or have never built anything or like just they live like this. And yeah, and it's sad, but those people are not going to be taken care of. Like, there's going to be a recession. You're not going to get your stimulus check. Like, you're effed. Sorry. And I want to tell people that so that 
they might do something about it while they still can. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and our book Sounds does that, by the way. So mm -hmm. if you guys agree with what I'm seeing and you have friends that are like, oh, I'm okay, like give them the book, it'll help. Yeah. Especially if they're Christian already. Yeah, I, I think a lot of Bitcoiners feel like uh, Noah building an ark, shouting that a flood's coming and people just kind of laughing um, yeah. or ignoring them. But yeah, there, there's this like uh, weird thing that, in, in human psychology where people don't really are unable to grasp or really like contemplate something until they experience it themselves. So like, you know, you look at something like drug addiction or uh, mental health or issues or, you know, stuff like that. People don't um, ha have really trouble grasping it. And so it, it, it is interesting to hear people's different people's perspectives from uh, countries where they've experienced capital controls and um, extreme wealth uh, or just monetary debasement and, uh, you know, things like that. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, we kind of think that way and ex experience life that way that we can't just like read that, that this is a possibility. So let's prepare for it. Um, well, it's the, it's the, um, you know, the don't trust verify thing. Like mm -hmm. any, any good ex-Soviet is like living that life from the start. Like don't trust verify. So I, I, I like to joke, like whenever someone brings up like Russians, like, oh, it's like Bitcoin big in Russia. I'm like, dude, go to any Russian bathhouse anywhere in the world, like Amer anywhere in the world. I went to a bunch in America, go, go to any one of them at like, in like 2013 and mentioned Bitcoin and like everyone's head turns like, oh yes, I've heard of like way, like Russian people were on it. Don't worry, like this is so funny because it's not funny, but like if you, yeah, it's like you said, if you don't experience hardship in your life, like you just assume your life is gonna be great for the forever. But like all of the ex-Soviet people, <laughs> um, they, uh, the ones that are in the West, like, like they're like, they have the ear to the ground. They're not just living in the clouds. Most of them, at least, um, they they were into Bitcoin. Like they're they're into all of this stuff. Um, it, it's not a coincidence. There's like a huge disproportionate amount of like Russians, little Slavs, uh, Russians, Ukrainians, Polish people like into Bitcoin comparatively to just like uh, Anglo people in America. It's it's hilarious, but there's a yeah. reason for that. Yeah, it's a. Uh... There, there's definitely we're a difference. We're overrepresented. We have Bitcoin privilege. I, I haven't heard that yet. I, I guess I need to, to really speed up my Russian lessons. <laughs> um, maybe go get over there and check it out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's just like funny to to see what's happening with Dogecoin this week and, oh, and like like dude. I, so I, um. I was trying to get my old Doge wallet reinstated and um, they like split chain and stuff. So I couldn't do it. So I sent it to my buddy who's like old school Bitcoiner, like very, he's one, of, he's one of the top like coders in the world, I would say. So I'm like, if this guy can, can't do it, it's gone. So I sent him my wallet and he's like looking at it and 
he ended up having to run his own node because their network was so broken and they were like getting DDoSed and stuff. And then he ended up having the biggest like node and he goes into their IRC and he's like, hey, can, can you guys like pay me or I'll take this node down? They're like, we'll give you a Dogecoin. It's like, fuck you guys. <laughs> it's just such a shit show. Um, so I don't know. And are people having trouble like even taking their, like even syncing with the network or? I didn't even follow that at all. I, I I don't pay attention to altcoins a whole yeah. lot. No, um, it's such it's such it's, puke. I just like it was like on my donation page for a bit, so I had like a little bit. But I thought that was so funny. Like no one is maintaining this stupid coin. <laughs> typically, when I meet an altcoiner, I'll just assume that they have no interest in running a node, and that their main interest in is in making money or quick, easy money. Um, yeah, and if you no one runs nodes, you can't sell your quick bucks so good luck <laughs> like it's so broken yeah i didn't even know that i mean i i think like what the majority of people are doing with something like doge is they're buying it on a platform like etoro or i don't even know if they support them but like yeah. robin hood where you don't actually um they they don't yeah there's not like real custody of it you can't like withdraw it it's just like a paper paper version um yeah, but that's exactly what it is but yeah i mean it, i i think like Like looking at it for every, everybody has a different reason for Bitcoin. You know, some people it's a necessity. Some people it's just like, you know, peace of mind. Some people it's like for um, like really trying to reshape the monetary um, system and, and others it's just like a store of value or a way to make money. It's really interesting to see how people's life circumstances really impact their decisions and, and what uh, draws them to something like Bitcoin or you know, in this case, Dogecoin. Um, so, I mean, it's, uh, nothing draws you to Dogecoin. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, if I knew I could make a lot of money on it, I, I probably still wouldn't be interested in it because it just seems like a waste of time to me, yeah. but it's, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. So yeah, what, what what's your take on this whole GameStop thing and what, what's happened with Robin Hood over this past week? I think it's funny. <laughs> I think it's funny that uh, Yellen was on the phone all week, like trying to fucking clean up the, you know, Reddit puke basically. Like how funny is that? This is like people in the White House are like sitting around trying to uh, c control a bunch of idiots online. <laughs> I mean, it's so like, the, we live in a meme, like the, the economy is a meme and everybody knows it. GameStop like pulled the mask down. Everything is just a meme. It's hilarious. Money isn't real. Uh, everyone knows that now, like at least on a meta level and like on a subconscious level like people feel it like people like wait what happened how, how can this happen how can how can some 4chan reddit how can people do that it's so funny it's so funny and then like all the people jumping in and trying to make money and then like robin hood shutting them down they're like oh no i can't make a quick money i can't make my quick money how is this possible they're not allowed to shut me down like yeah they are they're a centralized platform they can do whatever they want um, and I'm pretty sure in some of their policies, like they, if things are, if like trades are acting irrational, like they're allowed to just like stop it. They are. Um, so I don't know to what degree, but 
whether they're allowed to or not doesn't matter like they did and they can and they will so um i hope they get sued like i hope that we i think so i think they are gonna have lawsuits over it because they sold people's like they sold people's um like they closed trades out on people's behalf so it just depends on what you like sign when you like do the app download the app and stuff but th that's gonna be hilarious i love it um more please i really like it <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it is really funny to think that this is what Jan Janet Yellen has to deal with in her first week of office, having to. Uh, what secret is four chan? <laughs> oh my god! Like, imagine her. Like, I bet she's like googling all these forums and stuff. And oh my god, oh, it's so funny, so funny. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I I just think the idea of having the SEC scrolling through. Uh, uh wall street bets is one of the funniest concepts i've ever thought of or yeah. heard of and and like also i hope like anyone that looked into this like you look and you see like all of these firms and all of these money maker firms and stuff um like citadel like they all have them on her payroll on their payroll like they have janet yellen not on their payroll but you know i'm figuratively speaking, they pay her speaking fees. They pay her like they've paid her hundreds of thousands of dollars in speaking fees in the past. So they have each other on like speed dial, right? They have like, they're just, they're buddy buddy and they can call in favors anytime. And they did, and they're gonna continue to. And like, they they all got bailed out. They're all like, no, they, it, some, some of the firms got bankrupted like legitimately, but most of them got bailed out or build out right before they got something like that, but they're gonna be okay. Like they're not going down. I think maybe the smaller ones did, but the ones that have the connections, like it's like 2008 again, like no one's gonna be suffering here. Um, unless you try to gamble on GameStop and they locked you out of your account and you lost everything. Yeah, but don't, don't try to make a quick buck. <laughs> That's not a good idea. Yeah, nobody's going to be losing their their fourth yacht or their houses in the Hamptons over this one. Um, yeah, something really funny that I heard was that uh, Ben Bernanke, I guess, sits on the board of Citadel. Um, yeah, yeah. Which... I mean, you just literally like you Google these names and they are all like they're all getting lunch together. Like it's not it's not a surprise, right? Yeah, it's. Yeah, I like your take on it. it. It is kind of funny to sit from an outside perspective, having known how broken uh, everything is for a while and trying to explain it to people and then just to have it happen so nakedly, you know, and people to get all up in arms over it. And it's like, come on, guys, this has been happening for, you know, my entire no, exactly. life. Like, like my texting life has been like, oh my God, the economy is a meme. It was always a meme. Like, it's just now it's just so fully apparent i love it it's so great it just gets people you know looking this stuff up and being like oh i didn't realize <laughs> it's great <laughs> yeah yeah i i think a lot of people will be learning what rehypothecation is <laughs> this week and i think that's a great and beautiful thing i mean it's uh and yeah, I, I say it on the podcast all the time, but one of the most beautiful things about Bitcoin is it's the only form of digital money. I mean, if you count altcoins, but the only form of digital money or asset that you can actually self-custody and uh, and verify um, 
that you actually have ownership over it and that's just that's just beautiful like people don't realize that like when they're their money's in the bank or they're transferring in money on venmo or whatever that they they hear online and they're like even more worried because like especially if you're older but they don't yeah there's a there's a big mental leap for people yeah it's and you know and i think that's one of the reasons why it's so hard for people to to really get into bitcoin off the bat is because it it challenges so many assumptions and and brings people back to first principles and people want to be um you know they want to feel like they're uh what's the word like proficient or um like they have a, like a firm understanding like they're capable and 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 not they that don't... they have a firm understanding of how the normal economy works so mm-hmm. that's that's also the problem people don't have an understanding of what money is anyways but I'm hoping like the GameStop thing and like it will progress to a point where you're talking to an average person. They're like, oh, can you explain Bitcoin to me? You'll be like, it's real money that is yours. And they're like, whoa, money that's actually mine. Who will help me? Like that's the mental leap people need to make. They need the norm should be my money can be taken from me at any time. And then on that baseline, you're like, guess what you heard of bitcoin can't be taken from you at any time and they're like whoa so um that's kind of my hope (laughs) yeah so i saw you recently left uh twitter uh what what prompted that decision oh my god yeah i've been on there for 10 years on that account 10 years before my youtube or anything um and my little slogan was, I write state with a capital S because it has become our God. And I had that slogan when I was an atheist. Uh, so there's a lot of like uh, premonitions for me on that account. Like it was a big evolution, a big journey, loved Twitter. Um, yeah, you know, I've been meaning to get off of social media because of, well, Uh, I think we see what's going on now with Biden. He's doing retroactive um, like prosecutions of people for posting memes. Uh, (laughs) So if you saw like the uh, Jack, what's Jack, um, what's his name, God? The MAGA guy. um, He's posting memes about Hillary Clinton that were apparently misleading or something posted oh god what's his name uh i can't believe it slipped my mind he posted a joke uh encouraging people to text their vote which like so that people think they voted when they didn't (laughs) but there was like a left-wing woman who did the same joke except like vote on the ninth you know vote trump on the ninth and it was the day after the election so it was like a miss a joke to mislead people to vote wrong it's a joke on you know and he's getting sued over this. She's not, of course, because she was right. She was, you know, joking with the right person. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's insane. It's insane. And I don't want to be in social media because I don't want to be um, prosecuted by a government that hates me because of a platform that hates me. And that sounds crazy, but they're literally doing this. They're doing it right now. So it's just going to get worse. We're heading into China territory with the social stuff. So I don't want to be online 
Uh, I don't want to have my voice online open to interpretation of government agencies, etc. I don't need it. Um, the cloud isn't worth it. Like no one's paying me for my hot takes. I'm not supporting my family with my hot takes and I'm done. I'm done. It's actually scary. And, and I also, even if you raise all of those concerns, like, um, yeah, just don't do hot takes. Okay. Um, why, why are you on a platform that fucking hates you? So I'm done. Don't want to be on there. I have like a private telegram group for some people that like I wanted to keep in touch with and I'm pretty happy there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's really interesting. I mean, when they're, when they're talking about domestic terror, terrorism laws, which would essentially be like domestic Patriot act um, on steroids, like it, it does seem reasonable. And, and that's the thing that people don't get is like, you know, when you give, power over to the state you know it it's not about like will it be used now but it there's a likely a very high likelihood that it will eventually be used in a way that is just like really devastating and um awful ricky vaughn it was ricky vaughn gotcha yeah ricky vaughn they're going after him yeah poor guy yeah, yeah so everybody anyone if you if anyone here reads Moldbug or follow Moldbug. Moldbug was wrong and he needs to do a, a post uh, admitting that he was wrong because like Biden is not de-escalating anything. The fire is raging more than ever and it is getting worse and it is escalating. So he was wrong. His whole prediction was vote Biden because like the left won't have someone to hate and to fight against and everything will simmer down um, and give us time, but actually it's just like getting worse really, really fast. So he was wrong, unfortunately. Yeah. And you know, when it, when it comes to stuff like that, what, what I like to point to people is that, you know, people would have better things to do than get out and get angry and go to war with their neighbors and burn their cities down if things were good economically. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, it's not, it, and we're not going to be able to fix that until we fix that issue. Um, yeah. So, well, so, since you're fleeing uh, social media, where are some good places people can uh, follow you? Um, I guess I can give you a link to my telegram to keep up for like three days under the podcast or video or however you throw it out there uh, and they can join my telegram feed and chat. And then uh, you can take that down after like three days or something. We could do that so that's basically it i'm off instagram i was i haven't been on facebook in like years and years and years so yeah uh brave the world.com contact <laughs> you can yeah, also buy the book directly there you can get t-shirts and stuff um but yeah brave www.bravetheworld.com uh there's also a little mailing list there you can join i if when i write a book i send out a little little blurb telling you I wrote a book. It's very rare. Um, also, anyone listening who wants an intro to Bitcoin, who like literally doesn't know what's going on and doesn't want to do hours of research and deciding like where to buy it, how to buy it, how does the wallet work? I do intro tutorials for like, um, a price. So it's not free, but if you want to do that, you can contact me through my website as well. And we can talk about that. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. This really fun conversation. 
yeah, it was fun. Um, love to be back at some point. And yeah, also if anyone wants a cool conference to go to, check out Guns and Bitcoin. I'll be speaking, and that's a great conference for Bitcoin stuff, privacy stuff, and gun stuff. So that hits all the kind of uh, liberty-minded check marks for me, at least. That sounds like one I need to get over to. Is that going to be in Austin? Yes, it is. So cool. yeah, that's going to be in the summer. Awesome. 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 Summer or sp- no, spring. I'm sorry. Um, gunsandbitcoin.com. So it's called Bear and Bear and Arms. So yeah, look, I don't remember the date off the top of my head. So check that out. Awesome. Man, that was a really fun conversation with Julia. And I think what's really important for people to understand is that we need to be preparing for disaster before it happens instead of afterwards. And, you know, the worst thing that you can have, you know, in preparing for something that never comes, potentially never comes, is you just have peace of mind. Like, you know that you are safe in the event that something terrible happens and i think uh at this point you know it's looking very very likely that that you know there is going to be a horrible economic depression that normal people are going to get hit really hard and that our financial system is just a big joke you know like she she called it a big meme and that 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 is what it is like you know a group of redditors were able to bring down our monetary system, you know, and Wall Street, some of the most powerful people in it, to their knees by just pumping one stock. It's like, it's a joke, you know, and so that's why Bitcoin is so incredibly important and is the ultimate uh, insurance policy against the insane spending of the state, you know, and, and monetary policy, like, it's awesome, but yeah. Big thank you to Julia for coming on. I mean, that was just awesome. I, I think like, uh, you know, for some people, conversations like this could be terrifying. And, and for others, it's, it's just a good time because, they, you know, they genuinely have assurance policies set in place. Like I know, like I can sleep at night knowing that financial destruction is on the horizon and is a very high possibility because I have Bitcoin. And it's why I'm trying to get out there and get this information out for people because, you know, so many people are just, you know, they they trust the powers that be to take care of them and they won't and they can't, you know, and they have no desire to. And so, yeah. Well, that being said, uh, get to your local Bitcoin meetup. February 16th up in Phoenix. We're going to be having one. Uh, go to meetup.com, search for the Arizona Bitcoin Network. There's a great group up in Phoenix that uh, meets online uh, every Saturday at 2 o'clock. Um, I've been going to that one and enjoy the guys over there a lot. And every last Saturday of the month, we're going to be having one in Tucson. And if interest picks up, I'd be happy to do one weekly. Um, but yeah. Shoot me an email at uh, TucsonBitcoin at ProtonMail.com and let me know if you're interested.